when you procrastinate with your life, you know, things conspire to kind of like slap you in the face and say, listen, wake up. <laughs> this is not happening how you think it's going to happen. So you can either get with the program or just keep, you know, sort of wasting time. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair, we have Luam, celebrity choreographer and creative director. Luam has worked with artists and projects such as Alicia Keys, Beyonce, Nike, Rihanna, Kelly Rowland, Kanye, Reebok, Janelle Monae, X Factor, American Idol, America's Got Talent, and the list goes on. The reason I mention all of these names is because when you hear where she started her journey, it really is incredible to see where she is today. She has obtained cult popularity among the dance community all over the world with her teachings and passion for spreading inspiration. Funny enough, Luam got her start dancing in the very same dance troupe that I danced with when I was in college at Penn, African Rhythms Drum and Dance Troupe. Though we were years apart, I relate to her as a creative spirit who finally allowed herself to be led by her soul and her natural talents and calling. Through her work, her teachings, and her mentoring in the entertainment industry and beyond, Luam works to promote spiritual resilience and resistance and advocates for those overcoming all obstacles. If there's one thing I hope you get from this episode, it's that you can be an artist and still thrive as an entrepreneur. Do not feel pressure to fit into the boxes that life makes you feel so desperate to want to fit into. Live on box. Let's hear more from Luam. So welcome to the guest chair, Luam. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to have you here, fellow Penn alum, AR alum. So for those who don't know you, how would you describe yourself? Um, I would describe myself as a choreographer and creative director by trade, I guess. There's so many other words that we can get into, but (laughs) that is easy to swallow. Now, you majored in medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. So was this on your mind or anywhere in your thought about what you would be when you got older? I had no idea what I, I knew, I had no idea that I would be where I am, to be honest. I had forged a career in medicine since I was a little girl. I wanted to be a doctor. It wasn't just forced on me. I I really loved medicine and the the study of the brain. So I majored in in biological basis of behavior and it was something I really loved. And creatively, I would always just be doing something like from the very From the very beginning, I was drawing, I was painting, I did piano for many years. Um, Writing is really my first love. And dancing was something that I daydreamed about. I just thought about all the time. It was something that like, oh, that would be nice. (laughs) You know, it wasn't even something that I really actively pursued when I was a kid. And it wasn't until I got to Penn and became a part of African Rhythms that I, you know, sort of was able to manifest that into something real. And it just was like consuming. It was, it was a drug. I was completely addicted. So how did it impact your life and mission? Now, you know, most people don't know African rhythms, aren't blessed enough to have seen a performance. Tell the audience a little bit about what African rhythms is and how that impacted your trajectory. 
African Rhythms is a drum and dance troupe at University of Pennsylvania. And this particular group, you know, I would see since I was a freshman, I would watch them. And I, it was just so, I don't know how to, how to say it. It was just something really beautiful and powerful and just something that I felt so drawn to. You know, I never went to an African Rhythms show until I was actually in African, African Rhythms because I could not fathom being in the audience and sitting down. Like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> you know? so I actually never went to a show because I knew that I couldn't stand to sit there for a couple hours, you know? So it's really interesting. It's, it's, uh, was led by really, really amazing and talented, incredibly talented, uh, choreographers and drummers, um, Paul and Vina, like they were just amazing. And the dancers were just, I mean, they defied gravity. They, the movement was so soulful and just so, you know, it wasn't something where was just one and two kind of movement. It was something that was intrinsic and very intuitive and required you to have a very strong relationship with the rhythm. So it's something that I just was like, I got to be a part of this. So I never taken formal dance before. And African Rhythms was my first formal dance training. I had taken some classes before the summer before my senior year, but I really tried out and I got in my senior year and lo and behold, I was a part of it. And, and I made it through my first show and I was addicted, but it didn't change my course of my career, what I thought I wanted for myself. I still was applying to med school. I still was going to actually take time off before med school and work corporate, which, you know, I did as I was going to rehearsals for African Rhythms. I'm applying for IT jobs, you know? So it's really interesting because as much as I was sort of opened up to it, my spirit was kind of just sort of resolved in a way, but also opened by it. I didn't really look at it as an option. You know, to me, it just wasn't an option as a career path. It would be at most a professional hobby. Okay. So that way I kind of sort of, what's it called? I bargained with myself. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that bargain that you make, well, I'll just do it like this and then it'll be okay because it's not really. Right. It's still in my life. Know? I'm still incorporating it. Yeah. Because the, the, the trick is we think that by taking these leaps that we're actually doing something we're not supposed to be doing, you know, that risk is somehow sort of a no-no. And especially when you get into dance, that dance is somehow not a cerebral activity, you know, <laughs> and that you're not using all of your faculties if you're going to go into dance. And it's just a stigma to it. And, you know, that if you're going to make a career out of it, then you're just kind of wasting your education. All these sort of things and ideologies that we have in our head, mm -hmm. you know, kind of they're they're right there at the forefront while you're dancing, like that's why you bargain with yourself to keep these voices down because you don't want to have to answer to all of the people and the society and the family and right. the friends. They're going to have the questions if you were to take that leap. Exactly. That it's such an interesting way of putting it. You're so right. Now, what was that first job out of undergrad as you were bargaining and, you know, saying, oh, I'm just taking some time before I go to med school. What were those initial first jobs? Well, the one job that I got, I actually got a pretty good job. You know, I, I, I had a great business resume slash medical. Right. Shout out to that Penn education. You know, <laughs> shout out to Penn. You know, I was right there competing with the Wharton folks and, and I got a really good job in the advanced technology group at uh, Time Make, the publishing house for um, AOL Time Warner. And it was like a really dope sort of 
creative think tank. So for me, whatever I do, is, it's got to have some element of creativity to it. So, you know, working with Adobe engineers, working to create like new technology that how they made their magazines and, you know, working in InStyle for a little while or people or, you know, all these really cool publishing houses, you know, it's just really awesome. So for me, it was like a great bargaining tool, you know, I'll work here and, you know, I'll apply to med school, you know, afterwards and do like a post back program or something. And that just didn't happen. <laughs> You know, um, after a few years, there's a merger and then mm -hmm. my department got disbanded and, but I still made it through, I survived my CIO. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Did you lose interest in medicine? No, I, I, you never, if there's something that you, you don't have to love one thing. I'm just a big proponent of that. Just like with people, you know? you have different relationships with different people and you love different people at different times in your life. And for me, medicine was my first love in a sense. And, and so were the arts, the visual arts. And it's still, I still am fascinated by so much about it, but the lifestyle is not and the career path. I had to come to terms with that. It's not for me, but let me tell you, I hadn't come to terms with them when I was working, you know, even after I lost my job, I didn't come to terms. I said, Oh, I'll just dance for a little while and then I'll go back to grad school, you know, another bargaining chip, you know, I threw in the ring. So, but I just found myself never really going back to be honest. And it was sort of something that was in the back of my head, like, Oh yeah, I'll get there. It's just procrastination. When you procrastinate with your life, you know, things conspire to kind of like slap you in the face and say, listen, wake up. Right. <laughs> this is not happening how you think it's going to happen. So you can either get with the program or just keep, you know, sort of wasting time. Yeah. Speaking of things not going with the program, I've read that you went through a layoff. Is that when you took that break for grad school? You know, when you were bargaining with yourself, is that what you're talking about? Well, how it happened was, you know, with the merger and everything that was going on um, and then my department. Yeah. Then I got laid off. I still that was sort of my break from corporate world. That was the hard breakup that I had. And that was to me, I thought, oh, this means I'm going back to the educational world, but I just can't let this dance thing go. How about I just dance for a little while before I go back to the educational world, you know, and literally there, there was no moment where I said, okay, I'm not going back. It wasn't until I looked up years later, like many years later, had I had a full career in dance and choreography. I had long since not been pursuing education. Only then was I like, okay, okay, maybe I'm not going back. <laughs> <laughs> so you faced yourself last. Like you were just yeah. kind of not being honest with yourself until finally you're like, you know what? <laughs> Give it up, girl. Yeah. Give it up. But mind you, I was preaching the opposite, you know? So even while I was telling myself that I would go back, I was telling everyone else the opposite. I was living, quote unquote, what everyone wanted to do, which was to follow their passions. And I'm like, everyone should do it. You should follow your passions. Meanwhile, I could still, you know, I was still new in it. I, I hadn't, I wasn't where I am now. It hadn't been, people didn't really understand dance back then. Mind you, this is before So You Think You Can Dance, America's Best Dance Group, before YouTube, before all of that social media. So when you say you were a dancer, you know, people thinking like clear heels, <laughs> I think like oh, no. swing, you know, and mind you, I'm going to like after work mixers with my friends who are now like doctors and lawyers, great 
amazing people, but they're like, are you still doing that dancing thing? And I'm like, yeah. And so, you know, I would invite them to my class and I was teaching by then. And one time my friend came to visit me and was blown away. They were like, oh my God, you were just like moving and doing this and that. And I'm like, well, that's class, you know, that's dancing. And then there's the professional side of it. There's a whole world that people weren't privy to because, you know, there were no cameras <laughs> yet. Mm -hmm. And so it was really based off of people's sort of stereotypes of what, yeah. what that career path meant. And for me, I just didn't have time to live by those stereotypes or address them. I just had to kind of keep going. Right. That was my mantra. It wasn't just stop and assess all the time. I didn't have time. Every day I would literally wake up and say, what more can I do to get closer today? Mm -hmm. And I'll spend the whole day doing that. Let's talk about this, what the real world of dancing is. You know, let's break that down a little bit. So once you were doing this full time, when you say you were dancing, you weren't just taking classes. You started teaching these. You know, how often was that and how did you get into teaching? Did you have to certify yourself in something to prove yourself in order to get a job? So the way you get into teaching, to me, I believe there's dancers, there's teachers and there's choreographers and you can just be born to do any one of those things. You don't, one is not a natural progression of the other, nor does it need to be. Each one is sort of powerful on its own, but then there are people who can do two or three of those things because that's their path. And for me, I always felt my path was all three. So as I, I've always been sort of choreographing since I was little with my friends, you know, and the latest thing would come out and we make up routines at drill team in high school. And so later after, when I was actually training and dancing after college and doing that full time, basically my choreography or what I made up just evolved. It didn't all of a sudden start, you know, something I'd always been doing. So I would first just show my friends and then I got like a teaching a class at a gym for a long time. And then, you know, I just kept growing it. And then eventually I was able to teach at a school at the, where I was training and, you know, gained a following and yeah, you got to prove yourself. Are you kidding me? Dancers, artists, we're the toughest critics ever. You know how you prove yourself? You walk in, if your class is empty, you ain't doing so good. The accreditation is real because it's mm -hmm. very in your face. It's very like, you know, hard life in the sense that any artist that puts their art out to be judged is going to receive criticism. That's just part of being visible. Otherwise you're invisible, right? So, you know, being a new teacher, you got to kind of earn your spot, you know, because, you know, everyone's going to come like, who's this new person? What, why did, why are they teaching? You know? Yeah. And you literally have to pledge, you know, dance in a sense, <laughs> like you have to, your work has to stand on its own and you have to get better and it will get better. But if there's something that's unique and, and, and signature to you, that will take you further, you know? So people see your work, they should be like, oh, that's, that's the one I could tell, you yeah. know? And if it's, if it's not me teaching it, they're like, oh, well, they're heavily influenced by, you know, like it, it's basically creating a signature style and, and making sure that, you know, you keep and constantly evolve it. I'm always trying to outdo myself and like, it's, it never stops. You never stop proving yourself and you're going to be your biggest critic now you have this signature style, of course, and people clamor to get to your class. But when you were just starting out, was there anything you did to promote yourself? I mean, there was no Instagram then. So I say then like it was ancient, but it just wasn't around yet. Now, what were you doing to market yourself or were you strictly relying on word of mouth? 
Girl, I did everything. When I told you I woke up every day, like, what more can I do? I did everything. I made a website. You know, I figured I coded it. I did it all myself. I made flyers, cut them out, went to every dance school, had them there. I did, like, anything I could think of. Like, the original Instagram was, like, these little cards that I had, basically, with a picture of me in my class. <laughs> you know, it was it's very direct-to-consumer in a way. Yes. You know? um, so, and, and also, I'm my best calling card. So I would also be still training and taking class and, you know, people approach me. I'm like, yeah, I also teach, you know, um, outside of the class, obviously I would never disrespect the classes that I would, I was in, but you know, I was always ready and I was always looking for a new avenue to market. So for me, it was, it was all of that. It was anything I could possibly do. I was figuring out how to do it. And then when, you know, Instagram and YouTube came about, what was your approach to that to really stand out? Because your channel, I know you had to restart your channel at one point, but your channel is just awesome. Well, I was actually the first choreographer on YouTube. So for me, you know, no one else was, I was always into technology, obviously. So I used to just post my classes, you know, on this website where you could share videos. I, I didn't know anybody was watching it. I just was like, oh, this is a cool place to put my class videos. <laughs> you know, um, And I look up and then like, I think I never even really looked at comments or anything like that until a year or two later. And I was like, holy crap, who, who are all these people? <laughs> like, That's where, crazy. The first choreographer. Yeah. So, you know, I had a huge following on YouTube and then, you know, people were just starting to get into the game. My account got, was the first to get shut down because of rights or whatever. And I had to start brand new where other people were able to keep their original ones. I was, I had to start over, you know, mm. from scratch. And that was tough, but you know, it still was doing great. And then people were starting to come to class and say, is this going to be on YouTube? It's going to be on YouTube. And I was like, I don't like that. That doesn't feel right to me. You should be coming to class for the class. You know what I mean? Like, right. don't you come into my class to get, to get famous or anything like that. It's, it's a sharing tool. Like that's why I never, even as a, as a technology change, I never changed the way my classes were filmed was like just that front shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, so I left YouTube. I left YouTube at its height when everybody, because when I was coming up, no one was checking. YouTube was amateur hour. No one, you know, if, if you went to an industry exec or whatever and you're big on YouTube, they're like, oh, okay, yeah. You're like, it's like the teenager, like, oh, that's cute. You know, like it, it meant that you didn't have enough experience in the real world back then. Obviously things have changed now because it's translated into marketing dollars, but for me, I wanted to earn my respect. I didn't want to be a YouTube choreographer or a teacher or a dancer. So I left YouTube because I was gaining a lot of access into places and I was uh, standing and teaching next to my heroes. And I'm like, I want to earn my place in these rooms. You know, I don't want to just be here because I'm popular. So, you know, I've, I, I left and I kind of started from scratch in person in the industry, you know? That is so interesting. And for me, like, I, I felt like for myself, I needed to know that my career was not based off of YouTube. And, you know, this is before YouTube was a thing or social media was a thing. So I feel good now knowing that, you know, I, I don't know how, and this is just me. I'm not saying it in any way to right. say that's how anyone else should feel, but that was just what I needed. So here we are. Here we are. Now <laughs> you touched on the fact that you have gained access to places and amazing artists and brand partnerships. How did that come about? How did you start making inroads into those kind of places? Well, really mostly what would happen was the world was reaching out to me, like Taiwan, Indonesia, China, Australia, you know, the far reach everywhere, Finland, like 
I became sort of like the global dance teacher, you know what I mean? The, the, the window into what was happening in the, in the classes in the U S and so I was teaching everywhere, everywhere. And then eventually they would have the artists and management teams for different, like, for example, the Madonna of Taiwan or the, you know, Rihanna of this country, like they wanted a, a U.S. choreographer, they would reach out to me. So I gained a lot of experience, you know, choreographing for world tours overseas. And these are nobody that people knew here, you know, but over there, their audience was much bigger than, than a lot of the artists, you know, have here. And it's interesting. So I gained a lot of experience that way and a lot of jobs that way too. But then I realized that when I'm gone, nobody knows me here. So I basically said no to everything that took me out of the U S so I could literally sit here and be visible, even if I was doing nothing. Mm, that is was- yeah, <laughs> I know. I actually have an episode on FOMO that I'm going to be recording about that kind of experience of like me knowing you need to just sit still, but also feel like, wow, am I missing out <laughs> as you watch the other things? Well, yeah, everything that I used to do long, long time ago now is like a big market and a big thing. And I'm like, I'm good. I got in it early and I don't have to chase it the same, you know? So for me, right. it's not about recovering you know, or capitalizing on the things that are huge now that I used to do back in the day before they were huge. It's more about saying, what's the next trend that I'm going to start? You know what I mean? Like, how can I innovate further in my career? Yes. Speaking of innovation, one of my favorite pieces that you are a part of is Beyonce's Run the World. I mean, not only am I a huge fan, but the fact that you incorporated your cultural, that shake of the shoulders that, you know, and not many people would realize that that has deeper cultural roots. Can you talk to us about that experience and, you know, how did it come about and what did you learn from that that you continue to take on in your career? Well, the whole Beyonce thing came about, ironically, we were working on, um, I got pulled in by her artistic director to work on the Move Your Body com- campaign with Michelle Obama. And they were putting together a video basically to get like school kids over the U.S. just moving and dancing and, and exercising. So we're work- workshopping that for like a month, you know. Um, and during that, her director was like, hey, you know, we're doing this big video. Do you want to submit for it? Submit some choreography. And I was like, OK, sure. You know, um, I was in a place spiritually where I had just been through a lot, you know, as I was sort of gaining a little bit more visibility on the industry side. Not necessarily the because there's, you know, the the class, the teaching, the fans, you know what I mean, of dance side. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the industry, the professionals, the artists, the the managers, the, the, the power brokers side, right? So I feel like I had done what I could do at that time with the dancer side. And I, I was beginning to make my way on the industry side and beginning to build a reputation. And with that comes a little bit of visibility. And with that comes a lot of energy, <laughs> You know, and I had dealt with some things that really challenged me spiritually to say, hey, do I want to do this? Not because I don't love it, but because do I want to introduce this type of negativity into my life? Mm. I was like, do I do, you know, I, I could do this, but is this the right decision for me? And I thought about it and I said, yes, I do. And I'm supposed to. But from here on out, I'm only going to make faith based decisions instead of saying, is this right for my career? I'm going to say, is this right for my spirit? So, you know, I was, I was at a place where I was making decisions based off of that. I kind of starting from one, you know, and, you know, with the Beyonce moment, like 
I was, I, even with that, like dream artist, like she's everybody's dream artist. Let's not get it twisted. It doesn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) Choreographer, stylist, whoever, you know, to work with Beyonce is, is a goal, you know, and a dream. So it was no question for me. So when I was, you know, offered that, Hey, do you want to submit? I thought about it and I was like, because I had to do it in like a day or something crazy, which means it's going to be a lot. (laughs) I said, you know what? Yeah, I do. I want to do this. And I did it and I want to do it my way. And when I talked to her while we were workshopping for the Michelle Obama, she said that she wanted something that, you know, every little girl could watch and, and join in, you know, something that she wasn't interested in necessarily dance steps, but like something that people could be a part of, Mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, okay. And unique. And so you know, in my culture, I'm Eritrean, East African, and the shoulders, the, I mean, our women be killing it. They're just incredible. The, the syncopation of it is like nothing I've ever seen, the power, the precision, like all of it is just like on another level. In fact, since I started training dance here in the U.S., I gotten worse. Like, I'm like, I need some lessons, mom. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm not that great, you know, and people have these expectations, but really, you know, I I need to go back into my culture and learn it. But I presented her, you know, basically what we do, which is really, really sort of a powerful feminine mystique of it is just is sort of legendary in our culture. And, you know, I, I presented, she loved it. And I just did the beginning. Like I didn't do the whole thing. Everyone was submitting for like, trying to get as many eight counts as they could rightfully so is Beyonce you better you know go for broke like (laughs) but for me I was like I don't know it just this moment feels right the beginning it just fits you know and I don't know if that's going to you know I don't I didn't want to force it you know and so she was like it's perfect we're gonna do exactly that and it came time for it and there was like a hundred girls rehearsing and, you know, at the, she was like, I'm just going to do it myself. And she made it a solo. And I think basically I, she said something like, <laughs> like it just didn't look the same, you know, mm. on, on everybody. And she, she wanted it to be right. She wanted it to be authentic and she wanted it to look like how I was doing it or how it should look. And right. so she wanted to focus on, bringing that to life as opposed to just having a lot of dancers sort of like make it look sensational, but in multiplying it, it was more about the execution of the singular moment, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I was like, heck yeah, (laughs) amazing. Make it a solo, you know, whatever works. And, and it was, and she did it and she killed it. And, um, I mean, the, my moment was when like, I called my mom and I was like, hey, go, go look at the Beyonce video. And she was like, whoa, she's really good. <laughs> you know, and yeah, she, I love she that. was like really, you know, surprised and like, she was proud, you know? And, and I think to make a, to have a traditional African parent proud at something that's involving dance on a TV is no small feat, you know? And that, that was my moment. Hey guys, it's Nikayla with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. 
There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. A lot of us can definitely relate to that experience of just as much as we can validate ourselves, as much as we can be proud of ourselves, that moment when your parent gets it and they finally stop worrying or wondering what you're doing with your life. And they're just like, I'm proud of you doing what you're doing. It's amazing. It really is. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're not, we're not sort of like, we're not unreasonable. I feel like, for example, I understand their concern, you know, because I had the exact same concerns for myself, you know, um, I have like a lot of interest and, and I use my brains in so many ways growing up. I didn't want it to go to waste. You know, I wanted to make sure that I was utilize, utilizing sort of my full potential as a human, you know, and I didn't want it to just, to just be just dance. Cause I know that I'm, I was supposed to do more. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know how to make that come about just yet. I hadn't figured it out. So I couldn't tell that to them, you know, Mm -hmm. to them, I had to be okay with saying, Hey, they have to be okay with every, every stage of this, you know, and they're not. So it's okay because I understand why I would be terrified if I didn't use, you know, all of my potential. And if I saw my daughter, you know, have incredible potential and not use any of it, I would have the same anxiety. So I didn't fault them for it at all. That's real. Absolutely. Now, for someone who is wanting to get into this line of business, I'm interested to know how you structure and forecast for the future. So for example, with your revenue streams, are you tied to classes to pay the bills? Are you also continuing industry work mixed with appearances? And what does that revenue mix look like? Well, that revenue mix is real for a, you know, freelance agent, you know, basically you're working to get to a point of consistency and your consistency, consistency depends on your relationships. And even then you don't have, and I'm speaking more so industry jobs. And even then there are no guarantees, you know, someone could shoot two of my clients had babies in the middle of their run, you know, like it's, it's, you, you don't know what's around the corner, but you literally have to do, throw the kitchen sink at it and do everything you can to foster as many open potential jobs as you can, you know, um, do everything within reason (laughs) (laughs) After a certain point, you know, you have to recognize that your rise you have to make some, some sacrifices to say, Hey, I'm not going to get this check because I shouldn't be doing that one. But I can't say I've turned anything down though. You know, I feel like it it all sort of works itself out. So industry wise, it's, it's very up and down, but when it's high, it's high. Like it's nonstop and it's, 
is 24 seven. And when it's low, it's literally crickets, you know? So <laughs> you kind of need both, you know, cause no one can really sustain the lifestyle of just being stretched in so many ways when you're like working on a tour or doing a promo run, you know, in Europe versus this, it's just a lot of work, especially with creative direction. It's not about what you do on the stage, but the millions of emails and phone calls and meetings that you have to have to get it to that point, you know? So it's, it's a lot. So with that, when I'm off, I'm teaching in the city and I'm also sort of working on the next thing for me. And uh, I also launched training programs for professional dancers because uh, one of them is called Rock the Industry. And that's my baby. It's, it's sort of um, a complete sort of development program for an individual as, a, as an individual, you know, with a spirit, as a business person and as a dance professional. And it requires you to stretch the limits of each of those three categories. So, you know, I put my, my students through it in the program. They come out. I, hopefully it seems like better humans, you know? So I I'm developing things to fill sort of a gap of what I would have loved to see as I was coming up in a way that keeps, you know, up and coming artists from making, not just making the same mistakes, but evolving, you know, and faster and social media and, and just where our whole society is right now, everything is so microwave. You almost, you don't have time for an incubation period. You know, everything is so visible. It's like back in the day, we, we got to kind of work on ourselves in the dark in, in a sense, like with whoever was there physically, it wasn't just on blast 24 seven. So it's almost like you can never make a mistake, <laughs> uh, yep, yep. you know? So it, it, it kind of sucks, you know? And cause if you, if you do go dark, then you're not visible. So they don't know you exist. It's like this weird, you know, sort of balancing game with, with the world. So, you know, for me, I try to approach that in a very like holistic and very business savvy, as well as, you know, very sort of like, I I expect a high level of professionalism from them and teaching them all those things. So for me, I'm trying to build something, a platform that's bigger in, in the teaching world outside of just teaching classes. Cause I, I feel like I have that much more to give them, yes, you know, yes. my teaching is, you know, through classes has been tremendous, but I think my best teaching has been outside of classes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. it, and, and with dance, it's a very peculiar art form. You can, if you're looking, you can see exactly what someone's going through by how they move. And it's really evident. And you, when you address it, it, it can change your lives. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you in the guest chair, because I feel like we don't know that much about people who make it in this complex world of dance. I I know nothing about how you structure your life and how do you continue to just thrive given the unpredictability? So when I say thrive, I'm talking about the fact that you started a family, you know, and you were making things work and still being able to have that balance. How did you do it? Well, I can say, I think for me, I just always expected to be the first doing whatever I was doing. You know what I mean? So that way I didn't have to, I didn't really have anything to measure against per se, to say I'm doing it right or wrong. It's more sort of approaching it like, let me do the best that I possibly can do. You know, um, having a family, when I, I had my daughter a year ago, it was like, it was, I didn't even question it. Like when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, great. 
let's do this, you know? And to be honest, I had some really amazing, I think God for me just placed the right people in my life at the right time. So, you know, I started working with Alicia Keys. She had, um, her son Egypt was really young and, you know, I was just watching her like on sets, doesn't matter where it was, you know, she was a mom. Like she would, you know, stop a production to pull out some Tupperware to give him some food she made for himself. Like it was so amazing to see that, to see, you know, this woman who literally has more to do's than anybody I'd ever met, you know, <laughs> on a major scale, making major moves and didn't compromise being a mom for any of that. You know, so it, it almost kind of gave me permission or it made me excited to say, you know what, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to go for it. You know, I'm going to, you know, not apologize for either side, you know? So you kind of have to like almost feel a little rebellious when you do things, you know, I felt like, like when you start something, it's almost like a bit of a dare to it. Like, I dare you to tell me I can't, you know, right. <laughs> You know, that, that kind of gives you a little bit of moxie to push through it when it gets difficult. But for me, it was about doing my homework, you know, figuring out no matter what the, what the job was, whether it was being a creative director for a rock group or this or that, um, or being a mom, I'm going to research the heck out of it. And I'm going to, cause how you do one thing is how you do everything. You know yes. what I mean? So it, it, to me, it was just, I have to figure out how to be the best version of myself for this now, you know, and I would used to do that for my gigs that I would get, but now it was, it was bigger than me. So, you know, I would say that how to do it is basically to go balls to the wall <laughs> <laughs> and make sure you know your ish, you know, and yeah. expect to make a lot of mistakes, but really you have to forgive yourself for them in the spirit of you being as excellent as you can. You don't just go and do things all willy nilly. You know what I mean? Like you, you do your best and some things come out perfect and some things kind of get shaken out. So speaking of that now, what were some of your hardest moments when you made a mistake and you, you know, just had to push through that? How did you bounce back? The way that I kind of pushed through my mistakes, like a lot of times you don't even know their mistakes until later. <laughs> You know what I mean? You you may do X, Y, and Z. And then later you look back and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that. You know, like when you're, when you're sort of new to things, you kind of don't realize your ignorance, you know, um, until you have more experience. And then you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, I used to do it this way. You know, so there, there is some kind of luck in that, that you're not experiencing all your mistakes in real time you know, but my biggest mistakes were sort of understanding how things worked and, you know, understanding that no matter what my biggest mistake was thinking that my intention would bring about the outcome, you know, mm. like thinking that if I did everything with a good heart and with a good mind and good, you know, effort and for good reasons, not unselfish reasons or not, you know, or just even to be just to be high quality, whatever it was, good intentions don't, don't guarantee you, you know, to be received in the way that it's given. So I had to always, you know, it was not necessarily a mistake, but I learned how to expect every outcome, you know, and be prepared for every outcome, no matter what. 
because it is a subjective industry and it's a subjective industry that's based off of people's experiences and insecurities, to be honest. And, you know, it's very volatile. Like no one knows where their next job is going to be or going to go away. So, you know, good people are fighting for their livelihood and that's not a very healthy environment. Oh, <laughs> you know? boy. You know, so, and it's, it's, but at the same time, you know, it's almost like something this amazing living your art has to come with a catch, right? Yes. Otherwise everybody be doing it. Right. Right. (laughs) How do you stay relevant in this ever changing trend driven industry? You know, when the new dance is coming from this trend, how do you keep it together? (laughs) Well, it can, it can get annoying because, you know, not because things are changing, but the I feel like we are in a time where popularity is, you know, sort of prized over quality, you know, Um, that it's not always one is not an indicator of the other per se. So for me, it's the discernment that makes it difficult, you know, Um, like before when you didn't get something or or you were criticized for something, it's like, you know what, I could have done that better. (laughs) You know, I could be. But now it's like, oh, well, my even my faves, you know, are not popular enough. So they're not getting the recognition I even feel like they need or, or and someone else who has more followers will get the, and it's just, it's frustrating to see the discernment sort of, um, the uh, change, the taste level change. So that's a little frustrating. But for me, what I do is, um, I kind of turn blinders to it. Like I'm not, I don't really follow a lot of people, you know, I, I, I try and, you know, surround myself with things that push me further and inspire me versus make me feel any sort of social anxiety, you know? Um, and what keeps me relevant, I feel like is really as hokey as it sounds being the, being only me, you know, the second I try to be someone else, people will turn the other way and it'll look inauthentic. I think that when everything starts looking the same, people look for something that's unique you know, and if you can really develop and hone what that is for you, then you'll always have a place. Like even just with my choreography, for example, like if I'm making up something for class, you know, and I find myself like randomly doing a step that I somehow converged onto that I know is a popular step. I'm like, oh no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. (laughs) Not because I don't respect it, but in that moment, like I want to give them something different. And there may be a time when I'm like, this will be perfect for that. But then you know what? I'll educate them on the name of it, where it comes from, you know, not just doing it because it's, it's cute and popular, but there's a thing I went through anyways, you know, or even stuff that I've done a lot of like, Oh, I do that stuff all the time. I can't do that. I need to do something new. And so I dig deeper. And sometimes I turn, I close my eyes and I like, just put my headphones on and just whatever comes out, I might tape myself, you know, because I can never do it twice the same way. You know, like there's an approach, a cerebral approach to dance choreographing for me. And then there's a very visceral approach to choreography. You know, there's the like, Oh, let's create this shape and let's, let's do this. Let's move this here and a one, you know, Mm -hmm. and something really cool come out. Then there's something that comes out when you first hear the song and you just play it and just something in your belly just rumbles and it's like, oh, the beat kind of comes through you in this way. And that is what I try to continue to infuse and capture, you know, in in what I do. And whenever that really comes out, those end up being my most memorable moments that people remember. 
makes sense. So what is next for Luam? What's next for me is content creation. What do I mean by that? Um, I want to be, my, my goal, my dream would be to be a combination of Debbie Allen and Shonda Rhimes. Ooh. They had like, you know, a love child and created one in a lab. Like I would want to be that kid, <laughs> you know, um, to me, writing and storytelling has been my, always been my forte over anything else. And I feel like, you know, my friends who've known me for a long time say, you know, your choreography is your storytell. That's what you do when you choreograph. And I'm like, yeah, that's otherwise it's just moving in space. Um, so for me, I've spent a career sort of bringing everyone else's visions to life and I want to write my own and I've always wanted to write my own. And it's crazy because all these years I'm like, I can either be a writer or I can be a choreographer. I can't be both. If for no reason am I like, there's no reason I should think that, but right. it's like, it was almost like a, a baseline to where I didn't question it. So one day I was like, wait a second. I could completely create, create, I can write scripts. Like you don't have to write a book and then dance. You can like create scripts and content and put things that end up being visual. And maybe there's a book too. Like it's, you know, so I don't know what that aha moment was, but I felt so dumb. I'm like all these years, <laughs> you know, I don't know. So the, the less barriers you give yourself, I think the more, the further you'll get faster, honestly. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so now we are going to transition into a quick lightning round. Mm -hmm. I ask five questions and you just basically answer the first thing that comes to mind. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, number one, what is an essential resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Diligence, literally not stopping for any reason. I don't know if that that's what you mean by resource, but for me, like, um, no matter how small the moves that you make really translate into huge moves later on. So consistency, I would say is the, the most valuable resource that I've had. No, that's awesome. Okay. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode that you've consumed this year? The book that I love, I don't know, Secrets of a Millionaire Mind, I think is a really awesome book. You know, I I did a lot of studying to create Rock the Industry, especially the financial segment of it. So I read a lot of financial books. And this one actually, it's it's similar to sort of my school of thought is that you, you it's not just about teaching numbers or anything like that. It's about changing how your mind works and how you see things and changing sort of like how you perceive yourself and how you perceive the world. So it's, it's a really brilliant way to sort of tap into the millionaire in all of us. And it doesn't just mean millionaire. It really means it's kind of like, you know, tenants for success for whatever it is that you want, whether it's money or, or something else, you know, love that. I will link to that in the show notes. Okay. Number three, who is a black woman entrepreneur that you admire and would want to trade places with for a day? Besides everyone's fave, Oprah, of course, um, <laughs> I, I love Shonda Rhimes. I just want to see how she works. You know, I feel like she's about the quality of her work and I'm just curious as to how she does it, you know? And I think at the end of the day, when your work is that good, you'll find doors to open and there's a lot you have to do around it to make them open. Sure. But 
I'm just curious as to her habits that have allowed her to create such amazing body work. All right. Number four, what is something you have to do every day to set the tone for your day? Every day to set the tone. I absolutely, I clean now. I'm a mom. (laughs) (laughs) It's so boring, but you know, it used to be, I would wake up, it was like a certain song. I would listen to Bjork that would set the tone for my day or like, you know, Lauren Hill, it could be anything. It was always music, but now, you know, there is, there's something about creating the space around you to have a certain energy that's important. So now, like when I wake up and I clean before I go get my daughter, it helps me feel like I have control over my day. Lastly, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow Black women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are scared of losing that steady paycheck? My advice to Black women entrepreneurs is to get over it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, come on, it's going to, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be so great and so fun. You know what I mean? Um, I remember walking to dance school to pick up a paycheck because I couldn't afford the Metro card. And this is after I lost my corporate gig where I was getting great money. You know what I mean? Um, living in the same apartment. So expect it, expect to, to be a, the equivalent of a starving artist. But the thing is, is that you're going to be so consumed. You won't have time for it. You won't have time to, to, for the woe is me. Cause you're going to be consumed in your purpose and just let that fire keep burning. So You can either let that fire burn and give you the momentum to get through it, or you could just have a cool life with a cool breeze. (laughs) I love that. All right. (laughs) So where can people get in touch with you after the show? People can find me on my website, luamworld.com. It's a great sort of warehouse of me. Um, And also my Instagram is Luamki, L-U-A-M-K-Y, Luamki, Luamki. Pretty much all my social media is Luamki. But uh, Instagram is a very easy way to kind of like get in touch and vibe with what I'm doing. All right, guys. So there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.